This is Chris Goldberg. Uh, Thank you for reading Philly Lacrosse and listening to the next More Than a Club podcast. Welcome to the More Than a Club podcast. On today's show, we welcome a true lacrosse professional and a humble warrior. From Upper Dublin to Princeton to Duke to the Premier Lacrosse League, Michael Sowers is one of the most dynamic lacrosse players on the planet Earth. On today's show, Michael shares with us valuable tips for our listening audience of players, parents, and coaches. He talks a lot about his offensive lacrosse IQ and a lot about culture building, some of the things that made him a great teammate. Coach Leahy and I hope that you enjoy this episode with our guest, Michael Sowers. Welcome to the More Than a Club podcast with Marty Cuprian and Delay. Welcome back to a More Than a Club podcast for episode eight of season four. I'm your host, Bill Leahy, along with Coach Marty Cuprian, and we are thrilled to be back with all of our listeners today as we continue our fourth season of Outstanding Guests. That's right. And today's guest is another one of Philly's finest. All of the Philly lacrosse community can remember the rise of Michael Sowers as one of the sport's most electric athletes. He's one of the best to do it, and he comes to us fresh off of the PLL Championship and the Championship Game MVP honors. We are honored to speak with you today, Mike. Thanks for making the time. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. Pumped to, pumped to spend some time together. This is a thrill for me because we competed against each other an awful lot from high school, and then we became buddies on our USA team travel. And to see you again after all your accomplishments has made me really proud. So it's really great to have you. Oh, I appreciate it, Coach. Great stuff. We'll roll right into today's youth sports hot topic. We like to ask our guests to bring us something, something on their mind, something relevant for our listening audience. Mike, talk to us today. What do you have for parents? Um, I, I think for parents, and we could go a million different ways with this, but I think <clears throat> for parents, uh, you know, the, I, I just want to stress the importance of playing multiple sports. I think, uh, especially in today's day and age, it's so easy to succumb to, you know, your peers where kids are playing one sport year round. Um, and I know we'll talk about my story in, in a little bit, but, you know, so much of my lacrosse game was developed in other sports. Um, and I think more than that, uh, you know, playing other sports, I grew up playing basketball, playing soccer, playing football, uh, even play baseball a little bit. Um like I was able to find that like my true passion was in lacrosse. Uh, and I think that, you know, that allowed me to kind of peak at the right time where, you know, all I didn't start playing club lacrosse until I was in seventh grade. Uh, and in the off seasons, my dad would literally hide my stick from me. <laughs> now, obviously, you get to a point where, uh, you know, lacrosse becomes more of a priority. But at that point, you know, I had figured out that I love the game and that's what I wanted to pursue through trying those other things. Um, so I think that, you know, I think club lacrosse uh, is great, but I think at the same time, you know, also playing other sports at the same time is just as important. I love your dad hiding your stick. So let's talk about your dad a little bit. You're a coach's kid. What does that mean to you when I say that? Hey, you're a coach's kid. 
Uh, I mean, you know, it's obviously it, it comes with its pros and it comes with its cons. Um, you know, he, uh, I think my dad was great in the sense that, um, you know, he really, like I said, he really let me discover my passion on my own. Uh, he was never one that like, Hey, you need to go out and do this. You need to play in this. Uh, it was really, you know, Hey, is this something you want to do? But when I did it, he always was coaching me to the fullest. I mean, I can remember, uh, you know, my senior year, my junior year, like we're beating Springfield Monco by 15 goals. And he pulls me out in the third quarter because he thinks I didn't ride hard enough. Um, and I, I think that that was just kind of my experience growing up, you know, whether it was football, basketball or lacrosse, he coached me in pretty much everything I did. Uh, so he always held me to a high standard. And I think it just taught me, you know, what it took to be successful. I always felt when I watch a coach's kid, and that's a compliment, that like the coach, their dad or their mom, their coach is in their head. I can see them thinking strategically. I can think see them thinking in a way that's more than just how am I playing. It's almost like the game is a little bit slower for them. They must hear about it around the di dining room table or or when their dad's watching film. It's just like there's another voice or shadow going on along with their own talent. Am I out in left field or am I right? No, I think I think you hit the nail on the head. I mean, I think the biggest thing is, is just like, you know, I was fortunate because, you know, our conversations at the dinner table always started with, hey, how was school? And then right away, you know, hey, would you think of the two, three, one that you guys ran against, uh, you know, Upper Dublin when Hapro was playing Upper Dublin? Or, uh, you know, what was that man up that you guys ran in the second quarter? Um, so, you know, growing up, that, that was a conversation in the household, but also, uh, you know, growing up in coaches' locker rooms, seeing them draw things up on the board uh, and, you know, getting to a point where, you know, even as like being in middle school, them turning you and being like, hey, what do you think about this? Um, it makes you think about the game. And I think that, you know, I was really just blessed to grow up in that setting. I'm really curious. Did you and dad break down film together? Oh, all the time. Ah, uh, it's great. All the time. We <laughs> we we still we still do. I mean, uh, you know, he's in football season right now, but uh, my my two younger brothers as well. Like our daily conversations are like, "Hey, what defense are you running this weekend against Great Valley?" You know, so um, it's still it still holds true today. Special stuff. Really cool. Good stuff. We'll move on. X and O inside of the week for coaches. When I came in today, Mike, I wanted to ask you about everything you do with the ball as an attackman. Coach Leahy wanted to ask you about everything you do off the ball. So let's just talk about being a complete attackman and how you um, threaten the defense in, in all the different ways. But let's just start with uh, your mind, something you talked about as a coach's son, lacrosse IQ. Um, tell, us, tell us about your game offensively and how you attack the defense. Yeah, I, I think um, the biggest thing, and this was always preached to me since I was young, like lacrosse is a pretty simple game. Like they either slide or they don't. And if they slide, there's an open guy somewhere. And if they don't slide, then you turn the corner and you score. And I think then the next progression of that is, okay, they slid, right? So now being able to diagnose defenses and see through defenses um, in the sense that, you know, I know that they're coming from the crease. 
So if I'm dodging from behind the net, the two is probably coming from the top left midi if I'm going up my right-hand side. Uh, and I actually felt like college defenses were easier to read than high school defenses because in high school, like, you never knew if you were going to get a two-side. Like, they might have been told to side, but they don't side at all. You know, in college, like, teams are so disciplined that what you saw on film is exactly what you got. Uh, so I think that, you know, carrying the ball, that's the biggest thing. It's just keeping it simple. And then the next progression of that is thinking through, all right, what am I going to actually do with the ball when they do slide? I think I would watch an attackman and say, you know, Matt Rambo, for example, just beat your guy, dude. <laughs> and he would, right? Just run by him and put it in the back of the net or put it on cage. When I would watch you play and Grand Ament and so many others who play with their heads up, you could do that. But if it wasn't your day running by people, you could also kind of look at your attackman and say, well, I'll outthink you. I'll play you off the ball. You're in for a long day physically on the ball, and you're in for a long day in your mind off the ball. When I would watch you play, right, your head's up, you're crafty, you're thinking, your sense of vision and your intelligence about the game is all outstanding. And so many guys have a hard time learning how to play, and it is a hard skill off the ball. Talk to me about off-ball play and how you got so good. Yeah, I, I think just just one more note uh, with the ball that that you just hit on. I mean, part of like developing your vision, it was always preached to me, like play with your head up, playing behind you're the point guard of the offense. But to, I mean, you know, I didn't like grow up. I was always naturally quick, but not necessarily fast. So, you know, I kind of just gained the ability later on in my career, really like my junior, senior year at Princeton on to be able to like physically run by somebody you know, especially early on in high school. So um, like for me to get to six, seven points, it might've been a goal off the ball and five assists. And that's just knowing what to do with it. Um, like I remember playing Springfield Delco uh, as a sophomore and I had like a great year up until that point. And uh, they, they literally like when I got the ball face guarded everybody else and they said, go score for yourself. And I think I walked out the field with like, two goals, zero assists. And it was the first time in my high school career I, I didn't have an assist. But that was like an eye-opening experience for me. Like, hey, there's going to be teams that don't slide. You need to be able to figure out how to go score on your own. I think a huge part of that was just physically, you know, getting in the weight room, making sure I was in shape, being able to run by guys. And then to your point, Coach, I mean, I think that, you know, really uh, developing my off-ball game also came later in my career. Um, where, you know, teams will game plan for you, particularly, you know, with the ball and you get covered by, uh, you know, number one cover guys who love to play the ball, but they don't want to play off the ball, you know? So like, how are you going to beat some of the best defenders in the world? A lot of times you might run by them once a game, but it's really going to be, you know, making your money off ball. And I think, um, you know, part of that, it, I always thought that like cutting, um, playing off the ball is just like doing it full speed. You know, like how many times do you really see players like cut full speed? You know, the reality is like if your defender turns their head for a minute and you cut full speed, like you're right by him. You know, like he doesn't stand a chance. So I think that that was one of the things. And then also to the ability to play with both hands. Like if I can cut righty and I can do the same thing lefty, then theoretically I should be able to play off ball, any spot on the field. 
So I think that uh, I think that those are two huge parts of the off-ball role. And there's also a degree of craftiness. So by craftiness, I mean when a defenseman just turns his head, we've learned as attackmen to look at his head, and he looked away just for a second, and you're gone. That's when you cut. Like that's crafty, that you're busy thinking. You're not just watching the ball, and you're not just watching your offensive teammates. You've also learned to watch your defenseman and the team defense and make off-ball decisions based on what you see away from the ball and the other color uniform. No doubt. No doubt. And I think, uh, you know, going back to playing other sports, like same concept in basketball, you know, like you pass, you pass the ball, your guy turns your head, like you cut right back to her. Um, But I think it's such a great point. I mean, and that's, that's part of the IQ piece as well. You know, like, okay, like I know that uh, if the ball swings this way, Defenders are taught to position themselves a certain way. So there's going to be a blind spot here, you know, or if I just get to the end of his stick and he can no longer feel where I am, you know, and then all of a sudden he loses me. Now I can gain a little bit more space off ball. So uh, it's absolute, absolutely getting crafty. Like you said, how did you improve your IQ? You've said that word a couple of times. So how do, how does a young listener improve their lacrosse IQ? I mean, I think, uh, you know, I was lucky to, to grow up in a coaching household, but I think that one thing that um, I always did, uh, one, especially when I was younger, like I was great at like visualizing the game. So, you know, I would go out in my backyard and like pretend I was playing in a game. Um, and also, too, I think when I was watching games and I still do this today, where if, uh, you know, PLO, another PLO games on, or I'm watching a college game. Like I'll literally try and put myself in the ball carrier's shoes. Like, what is he seeing? If I was carrying the ball right now, where would I go with the ball? You know, what would my decision-making be? And that's just like casually watching a college lacrosse game. Um, And I think that like, by doing that, like you're naturally taking mental reps um, and you're just naturally thinking about the game. Uh, And I think that that helped me, especially at the college level, like I said, because Cause defenses are very black and white. For me, it's about situational lacrosse. Your IQ grows when you know and experience lots of different situations. And so as a young attackman, you should be looking around saying, all right, we are six on six. And then you adjust appropriately to that situation or recognizing a four on three. That's a different situation than a five on four, which is different than getting a defenseman hung. Like once you grow into all these different situations and make mistakes and find success, that's how your lacrosse IQ is growing. You got to get out there and know that I'm not just running around with the ch- as a chicken with my head cut off. Each, each moment is a situation and each situation is to be mastered by me, you know, over the long journey of being a student athlete. No doubt. No doubt. And I think, you know, a lot of that comes down to just like playing, mm-hmm. you know, playing high level lacrosse, getting great coaching. Um, and then too, like I, like I hit on, it's like, you know, when you're watching for the, for the young players, coaches, or even parents that are listening, like when you're watching lacrosse, like think about the situation, like put yourself in the ball carrier's shoes, put yourself in the off ball role. Like what is actually going on on the field? Like think about it objectively, you know, rather than just sit back and mindlessly watch, like watching lacrosse is an opportunity, obviously to get better. Love it. Let's move on to culture building. We talk a lot about how to be a good teammate. We talk a lot to coaches and players about uh, the culture of their program, you know, the phrases that they live every day, the values they believe in. If you could take us through 
Upper Dublin, Princeton, Duke, USA, Water Dogs. What stands out and, you know, drop some knowledge on our listeners. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, each of those programs I was able to take something away from. I mean, high school is a little bit unique, especially uh, uh, especially at Upper Dublin. You know, you're essentially you'll do a little bit of offseason training, but it's um, it's essentially just, uh, you know, you show up and you play. And, And what's cool about that is a lot of times you're doing it with your best friends and the guys you grew up with. Uh, which is really cool, but also like a challenge, right? Cause like, you know, these are your best friends off the field and then you need to like turn around and get serious, uh, on the field. And I think at the high school level, you know, like some people are more motivated than others. So, um, you know, that was like always a challenge for me. And I know some of the other guys on the team, uh, it, especially, you know, we weren't successful. And I think a lot of times we look back on that and say like, we wish we were better leaders. Like we wish we had some more difficult conversations than we did at the time. Um, I think, uh, you know, at Princeton, um, I really just learned about like the true bond of a team and how important that was. You know, like when I went into Princeton, uh, I always associated like I'm doing everything I can for the team by like my own personal performance. Uh, But I think as you get older, like especially stepping into a leadership role, uh, you know, you realize it's so much more and so much bigger than just yourself. And I think, um, you know, one of the things that, uh, you know, I had a discussion with coach Madelon about like, I'm a morning person. Like I would shoot usually like 6am we lift at seven. And he's like, instead of you going out by yourself, bring four or five of the freshmen, you know, bring, uh, two or three of your line mates, bring some of the sophomores. And before you know it, like halfway through the year, we have, you know, 10 guys, 11 guys out at these 6 a.m. sessions. What's cool, I know that that's, uh, that still holds true today at Princeton. Like those guys call it the breakfast club. They're out there 6 a.m. before list, which is pretty cool. Um, so and then I think I think at Duke it, and, and Water Dogs, uh, both very similar um, where, you know, like my role changed a little bit. And I think that, uh, you know, you buy into. Uh, the bigger system uh, in the sense that like, you know, at Princeton in high school, it was like, all right, I'm like, every time I touch the ball, I'm trying to make something happen. And, you know, at Duke and in the PLL as well, it's like, all right, like my role is to dodge my guy, draw a slide. If it's something is wide open and that's the best opportunity we take it. And if not, you kick it forward and trust your teammates that they're going to make the right decision. And I think, uh, you know, especially with the water dogs, like we had a ton of trust amongst each other <laughs> to be able to do that. So I think that, you know, that was uh, that was a big realization as I got older. How about our shared USA experience? Never before had I put on a jersey or a coach's shirt and felt such pride. Yeah, I mean, I think the the USA experience is obviously um, a pretty unique one. Just being able to wear the uniform, I think, um, you know, I, we'll talk about the experience a little later. I'm pretty, uh, I'm sure, but uh, you know, it's. Um, I think for me, what I what I took away from that uh, is, you know, similar to the Water Dogs, but but more so, where it's like, you know, you are literally doing whatever you can for the better of the team. 
you know, and I think my role, you, you find your role pretty quickly. And I think, you know, my role was dodge from behind and move it forward, but also to like the little plays, like set the tone riding, pick up the tough ground balls, like don't lose a single run out. Like the things that I think go over the casual fans head, like those are the things that you don't take for granted when you're in that position. And I think I, I learned it from the coaching staff and, uh, you know, really just like admired some of the older guys that, you know, Timmy Kelly, who at the time like started for UNC, had just won a national championship. Like he's coming out of the box as a midfielder. Um, so you just saw that like across the board. And I think that that was pretty cool. Yeah, there was a full spirit of what do I need to do? What do you want me to do to serve the team coach? I mean, how many times did we hear that? Right. And I mean, Jared Bernhardt's like another example of that. Like he comes out of the box um, and he could, he could have beat anybody on the field, but he's coming out of the box for the better of the team and, you know, ends up being the the championship MVP. And uh, so it, it was a really cool experience. Yeah. I think Austin Sims, right? Leading scorer, Princeton. Now he's a D-Mitty and has to deal with Jeff Teat and plenty of other Canadians. And his response literally, which made him captain, was whatever helps the country, whatever helps the team. Yeah. Yeah. As we move into the next part of the show is our guest roundtable. So we have a whole lot of questions for you, Coach. We're ready to roll here. And the first would be, I guess, walk us through youth ball. You did a little bit earlier, but where'd you play youth and then roll right into Upper Dublin? Uh, so I grew up playing actually for um, <clears throat> for a Hepper Horsham youth program. Uh, the um, My dad was coaching Hepper Horsham at the time. So <clears throat> grew up playing for Hepper uh, always, there was always like a little bit of a rivalry with Upper Dublin. Um, I think just cause the HHUD rivalry, but, uh, started, I think I started my first like game with the program was kindergarten. Um, and then went over to the Upper Dublin, uh, youth club team, which at the time was CCLC, uh, right around like fourth grade. And I think, you know, part of that and like part of the joy of like youth lacrosse is like you know, playing with your best friends and those guys, you know, you're going to play with all the way up through. And what was cool for us is like from really like fifth grade through my senior year of high school, we had the same group together. Um, <clears throat> sixth grade, we went to the uh, the Seppel Final Four. And then in eighth grade, we ended up winning the whole thing. And, you know, we're playing spring together. We're playing uh, summer ball together with the Wet Bandits. Uh, Dukes at the time as well. Um, so it, it was just like, it was a really cool experience uh, to be able to play with those guys. And then you all rolled into Upper Dublin for the most part together and crushed it for a long time. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we, uh, yeah, what was cool. I mean, like I said, we, we had played all the way together. We always talked about winning a state championship. That was always the goal. Um, and we, we essentially like the the kind of core group started in second grade football. Essentially, my dad just handed out lacrosse sticks to the best athletes on the football team. Like a lot of those names, like Jack Rapine, he was on that original team. Nick Vernacchio, Henry Weinbrake, like all these guys that went on to play Division One lacrosse uh, were on that original football team. We just kind of grew together and. Like I said, we always had an aspiration on winning a state championship. And <clears throat> when we got to Upper Dublin, uh, I think we all, maybe like six of the nine, six of the 10 starters were freshmen, um, which was pretty cool. And we just felt like we were going to get better every year. 
unfortunately, senior year, we were having a great year. Um, dropped one to Avon Grove uh, midway through the year. And then uh, we were on a roll as of late. And for whatever reason, like lacrosse is a funny game. Uh, you know, we went out against Strathaven. And I remember we also had some buddies that didn't play lacrosse. Uh, and, you know, they went to every single game throughout the year pretty much. And I remember there was a big grad party that day, and they're like, ah, like, we're not going to come to the Strathaven game. Like, you guys are going to blow them out, you know? And, like, we we never got off the bus until the fourth quarter. I think we were down, like, 8-2 to two or 8-3, and we ended up coming back and losing by one. But, you know, that was uh, – I think that was just, like, an eye-opening experience that, like, <clears throat> not, not everything's a fairy tale en- ending, you know, like – Here's this group of guys. We had all played together. We talked about winning a state championship since fifth grade. And like, we didn't do it, you know? Um, and, and we're never, and I'm never going to play with Jack and never going to play with Nick Vernacchio again. Uh, so that, that was, um, that was tough, but I think it was cool to see too. Like the sun comes up the next morning, you know, like that day coach, we had a USA training camp down in Baltimore at the USA lacrosse facility. And right after that game, like, I remember telling my dad, like, I didn't want to go. He's like, you're going. We hopped in the car. We went down and we turned the page, you know? And, like, uh, I think that, you know, like I said, it was it was a cool experience to see. Like, the, the sun comes up. Like, you know, it, it sucks, but it's over. I remember where I was because you'd always come over to LaSalle and give us a beating in a scrimmage. I knew you guys were good. I knew you were good. I was like, I we just. We always, we always took that scrimmage a little personal. <laughs> and then I was like, boy, I don't want to see them again later in the year. And I was followed from a distance as we were working on one side of the bracket and you were working somewhere else. And I was like, hmm. And then I remember where I was when somebody said, they got beat today. And I was like, did not. <laughs> and then I knew our path, at least out of the Montgomery County, Bucks County area, would be a tad easier. So. We were talking about the LaSalle-Upperdova matchup because we were buddies with a bunch of those guys. And, like, of that that eighth-grade CCLC team, you know, a bunch of them went to LaSalle and the rest went to Upperdova. So, we, you know, we had talked about we're going to play LaSalle in the state championship. <clears throat> we're going to play LaSalle in the state championship. And, you know, for whatever reason, like I said, like, Strathaven never got off the bus. Yeah. Our path got a lot easier that day. Sorry, bud. <laughs> So, Mike, just, just looking at the numbers from high school, pretty astounding. Um, 594 career points. Uh, your school assist record, 402. Uh, you were an All-American a few times uh, by anyone that was named an All-American team back then. So, um, really awesome. And then, you know, you were a top recruit and you head off to Princeton. Um, what was that like? You know, was there a lot of pressure that you felt there? Did you feel right at home right away? And um, kind of take us through getting on the field and starting to make an impact. Yeah, I mean, uh, Princeton definitely wasn't uh, – it wasn't always easy. Um, you know, when I first got there, like, <clears throat> little cross piece was easy. Nothing else was easy. Yeah. Like, uh, school was tough. Was Ryan Ambler, like, a big a big brother for you? Was he part of the pipeline there? He was, but R- Ryan had, um, had, had graduated the year before, but – like he played a huge role in recruiting. And I remember like my concern, like expressing my concerns to him that like, Hey, I don't know if I can like do the academics here. And he would always say like, Hey, listen, like if I can do it, you can do it. <laughs> you know? Um, 
but uh but yeah it, it it really like it wasn't easy early um and i think that like i let uh you know my struggles in school and just like adapting to being away from home i'm a huge home person uh like i always have been and even though i'm like 45 minutes away like i'm sleeping under a different roof you know like you you no matter like i always found comfort in like no matter how the day was you go home, you eat dinner with your family, like you decompress, you know, at school, it's like, you know, you're, you're there, you're always there. And it it was just, it it, it took a lot of growing up. And I think that uh, it was the best thing for me, no doubt. And I remember some late night phone calls with my mom, like telling her, I don't know if I could do it that fall. And to her credit, like she always like pushed me back out there. And I think when I, when I came back, from winter break that year, uh, my freshman year, I just had like a different mentality. You know, it was like, I, I'm ready to go now. Like I, I'm through the growing pains part, maybe not in school, but definitely from a lacrosse standpoint. Um, and I had like, we had a great senior class and I was fortunate, like Philly guy, Gab McBride, uh, who was like a big brother to me. I mean, like we did everything together. We were like line mates. Um, and, you know, we had a ton of chemistry and I think, you know, that just gave me a ton of success or a ton of confidence uh, to 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 really go through my career. Um, and obviously, like the dynamics change year over year, then sophomore year, you take on a bigger role, become like a little bit more of a leader. Uh, those seniors that were there last year are, are now out of the picture. And I think what was cool about that experience was like every year I learned something, you know, and like it really all came together. Uh, for us as a class, um, my senior year, and and then you know, COVID hit, so that was difficult. But you know, I definitely think that uh, it it was such a great learning experience. Obviously, it sucks COVID hit during that time, but um, you know, it was it was an unreal experience. The guidance counselor in me loves all the life lessons that you just shared. The coach in me is curious about how your game changed or improved at the college level. I think it's just, you know, like being well-rounded, uh, you know, that was something that always got preached to me when I was, uh, you know, growing up, it was like, all right, up and up in high school doesn't have a lefty. So my dad always would make me play with the stick in my left hand, like particularly fifth, sixth, seventh grade, like <clears throat> force the stick in my left hand. Princeton, you know, it was like, all right, there's the, they need an ex attackman. Um, and one thing that I struggled with was turning the corner and beating my guy, like scoring off the dribble. And uh, I remember watching film extensively with Coach Madelon and Coach March about like how to do that and how to best rep that. And like we watched Liam Banks film. We watched Mikey Powell film. Uh, you know, we watched all these guys like turning the corner and you try and develop like your own style for it. Um and, you know, I think and then my senior year, it it was all right, we're going to move you around a little bit. And I never played above the cage. Um, but to Coach Mitchell's credit, who came in <clears throat> as a senior, he wanted to change things up a little bit. Like he kind of taught me like how to play without the ball up there um, and, you know, how to dodge up there, like your angles that you take. So I think that. uh you know, it every year into the coach's credit, like I was able to to kind of develop my game based off of what the team needed at the time. You mentioned 
COVID. What was that like for you, then the team, and how did that play a role in you ending up at Duke for a postgrad year? So kind of three sections there. Yeah. I mean, it, it was just, it was crazy. I, I'm sure everybody remembers like where they were when I, I guess it was like March 13th or 11th or something like that. Um, when like the whole world just stopped and it, it was just like, it was really weird. I mean, I remember we were getting ready for Penn that week and obviously that was going to be a huge game. I think they were undefeated at the time as well. Um, we hadn't beat Penn since my freshman year. So that was obviously something that we had circled on the calendar and Monday business as usual, uh, Tuesday, you know, I think that was the day Amherst, uh, canceled. We were like, all right, that's a huge overreaction. Uh, you know, Wednesday morning, there's like rumblings that, you know, they might postpone the pen game and all. And then by Wednesday afternoon, it's like the whole season's canceled. And it was just like this progression where I don't think like any of us processed it until, you know, like the following week when they're literally like, all right, like Wednesday season gets canceled by Friday, they say you need to be off of campus. So it was just like, you know, how fast everything progressed. Like, I don't think any of us processed it really until like we were home and like, holy shit, like it's over and like, we're never going to be back in the locker room again together. And, you know, like the season, like is always going to have like a little bit of like a what if, you know, and I think that's obviously like tough. And I think it was tough for all athletes at that time and senior athletes. Um, so, you know, I think it, it's always going to be something that's just like a little bit, like I said, of, of a what if. Um, but I think uh, it was difficult, but <clears throat> it, it's one of those things. It's like, you know, life kind of goes on and um, you, you got to figure out like what your next steps are. And at the time there was like no time to, to really like hang your head. I mean, I was trying to graduate and, and turn in my senior thesis, which was like <clears throat> 110 page paper, uh, you know, and like before I got the Princeton longest paper I wrote was like three pages. Uh, and now I'm trying to put together this 110 page <laughs> book essentially. And, and then also too, it's like, all right, what, what are my next steps? And I think, um, you know, to Coach Madelon's credit, uh, you know, he was unreal during that time. Just like, hey, whatever you need, like, it, like you're going to play college across again. Like, you know, let's get you back on your feet. Let's figure out like what you want. And, you know, we just sat down and talked. And I think talking with him, talking with Coach Mitchell, talking with my family, like dude just made a lot of sense, um, you know, for a lot of different reasons, uh, you know, playing for Coach Sanowski, uh, going down there, the team, the academic program, um, everything just fit. And like I said, I'd always been like a homebody, had been around the area, and that was an opportunity to to get south and see a new environment, meet new people. And uh, I, I just felt like it was uh, it was the, the the best step and the right step for me. That's awesome. So I know that uh, getting to the PLL, you know, you were um, kind of. A, a big star f coming from the college world, obviously like a legendary record-breaking attackman. That year at Princeton that got cut short, you were averaging uh, nine and a half points a game. Um, so coming into the pro league, everyone's like, "What? What's he going to do? You know?" And and is anyone going to be able to guard him? Um, and I remember you kind of caught that shot to the head and had the concussion. Um, can you take us through a little bit of like, you know, what what happened on that play, and then 
with your injury and brain and, you know, just mental health and time away from the game, you know, what was that like? Yeah, it was, um, it, the, the, I think that whole, like that whole week, two weeks was pretty wild. I mean, <clears throat> essentially we played Maryland in the final four that Saturday, um, <clears throat> lost, flew back to Durham Sunday uh, went home for that, went home on Monday or Tuesday and then got on a plane, went out to Gillette Stadium on Wednesday, practiced with the Water Dogs, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, played in the game on uh, on Sunday. So it was just, it was just like, you know, another week, like moving super fast. Um, and, you know, obviously like you come off of that Maryland game and like you always dream of playing in a Final Four and like it was very, it, it was cool to be there, but like, you know, we, we got killed, uh, on the biggest stage and, um, a lot of emotion, like college lacrosse is over and then go play pro, which you're excited to do. Um, and, you know, get hit, have a concussion. And at the time, I mean, that was my fifth diagnosed concussion. So like have been super grateful, you know, not a ton of injuries throughout my career, uh, really none except for head injuries. And so, um, you know, that was just like a unique time where, you know, taking time and concussions are such a funky thing. Like, it's not like a hamstring where it's like, all right, if I do leg curls, I do these exercises, it's going to get better. It's like this constant give or take. And it's like, you know, questioning yourself, like, is this hurting my head? Like, can I push it back or or can I push it further? So it, it, it was just, um, it, it, it was tough, but, uh, uh, it was a unique summer for sure. And it was great to see you back. Obviously, congratulations. And, and most of our listeners, probably huge PLL fans and kind of know how the year played out and got to see you succeed. But you do play, you know, an exciting style and you're you're diving around the crease and you're, you know, using your leverage and, and getting people on your back. So um, it's good to see you playing free and, you know, flying high this summer. What are your future plans in the game of lacrosse? More pro, USA, adult? What do you think? I, you know, I, I want to play for as long as I possibly can. Uh, you know, I, I, I love the game. Like I said, I've been very fortunate with, uh, <clears throat> with my injuries. Uh, I, you know, I wearing the Q collar now, which helps me a little bit from uh, a head injury standpoint, um, just gives you a little bit more confidence, but you know, I, I, I want to play as long as I can, you know, hopefully that's, you know, well into my thirties and, uh, be able to to experience the indoor game a little bit. Um, hopefully, be able to put on the USA uniform again at some point in my career. Um, so you know, I, I would love to play for as long as I can. Love it. I have a bunch of topics. I just want to ask some some quick word association from you. If you could just give us your quick kind of first thoughts on some of these phrases. Uh, the first one is dodging angles. Uh, makes it tough for the day when you when you change out where you're dodging from. Next one, Rizzo Rink. Uh, PBLA, great summer league. Uh, get to play a little bit of box. A lot of fun. I feel like you got you got a little scrappy there. I've heard some good stories from uh, the box Rizzo Rink. How about True Temper? Uh, best best lacrosse products in the game. Uh, I'm somebody I've used the same stick since I was young and changed it up and uh, feel like it's I'm I'm playing my best with the product so. Uh, best, best product. Be your best lacrosse camp. 
Uh, just fun. Just a ton of fun. Grew up going to the camp. Obviously, my dad runs a coach at the camp now. And, uh, you know, they, they stress fun, which is what lacrosse is supposed to be. And my last one, Philly Love. Who are the Philly influences uh, on your game? Uh, too many to name. I mean, across all sports. But, <clears throat> I mean, just starting with, you know, Jordan Wolf, Joey Sankey, Johnny Christmas. Uh, I'm, I'm definitely missing out on guys here. But, um, you know, so many, so many Philly legends that came came before us, really, that we were able to learn from and take stuff from. Continuing our word association games, we move into our rapid fire NXT homework section. I'm going to give you a couple of our listening groups and you can give us a little assigned homework for the players, parents and coaches who are listening. So what homework do you have for players who are listening? Uh, for players, uh, 10 minutes of wall ball a night, something that I implemented when I was young. Still do it to this day. So easy. Get home from school before school. 10 minutes, hit your chimney, hit a brick wall, anything you can find. For parents who are listening? For parents, I think let your kid develop the passion for themselves, whether that's lacrosse, whether that's soccer, football, piano, whatever it might be, but um, to truly like excel. Uh, and I've seen it firsthand, especially at the college level, like they, they need to love it. They need to really enjoy it. So um, let them develop the passion for themselves. And for coaches who are listening? For coaches, yeah, just continue to evolve. The the game is always changing at, you know, the college ranks. Those guys are uh, really, you know, changing the game and how it's being played and how people watch it. So I think just continuing to learn and get better and grow. It's the beauty of lacrosse. You can always get better and grow. And last, what is Michael Sowers reading, watching, or listening to these days? What am I watching? Uh, I'm currently watching uh, HBO Hard Knocks with the Cardinals. Episode one came out. Pumped for that. Uh, other than that, Sundays on the couch watching the birds. Go birds. Go birds. All right. That'll bring us home. Uh, an excellent episode. Really fun conversation with Mike. Thanks again. You were an excellent guest for us, and we love rapping with you, getting inside your head a bit, learning more about the experience through Upper Dublin, Princeton, Duke, and now in the PLL. Uh, he's a champion, and he's one of the best from Philly. Really proud of how you represent our area, and thanks again, Michael Sowers. As we close tonight, just want to thank our listeners, encourage you to listen some reviews. It really helps us grow if you repost the episodes or the content that we post on the next lacrosse feed. Tag us. If there's anything we could do or any guests you'd like to hear us get on, let us know and help us grow. We're closing things down from Concha Hawken. Thank you. More than a club. Deonde knows.